Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Our sermon uh, sermon, uh, title tonight is this. It's simply this. The history within his story. You get that, don't you? What is history, after all? It is his story. He is the author and creator of all things, our Lord, our God. Uh, Yehovah, Yahweh, our God, our Father, Jesus, his Son. This is really this whole life that we live, this reality, this, this timeline that we are a part of. This is really his story. It's really more about him than it is about us to a lot of degrees. But our sermon title tonight is The History Within His Story, and it's going to continue to be for the next couple uh, times that we get together, certainly on Sunday. I wanted to, uh, what we're going to jump into on Sunday, I wanted to kind of do this tonight as a forerunner, like a setting the stage for the story within the Christmas story kind of teaching that we're going to do. I mentioned on Sunday that some of you may have heard the, some of the elements of the the, the teaching I'm going to be giving uh, in the years past, if you have been with Life Story Church for a while. But as you guys know, looking around, we have grown so much so quickly here recently that there's a lot of people that haven't heard this foundational stuff. And it's always good for us to hear foundational truths again and again, because there's so much there's so much white noise out in the world, isn't there? There's so much other there's so much other. Uh, I don't want to say disinformation, but in general, the Christmas story that we know and we hear and we grew up with, it's really just surface. There's so much more depth and so much more treasure in it for us uh, that I want to share with you guys. And and I think it's important for a church like us who uh, loves to, you know, be proud of the fact that we are, you know, a Bible studying church. Like we study the Bible at Life Story Church and and... It's funny that that's, uh, as you know, anybody who would normally hear me say that was like, well, of course, well, doesn't every church study the Bible? Well, sadly, not anymore. So much of what we see in the American church and the church globally is, you know, more motivational speaking than it actually is Bible study. Not that there isn't a place for that, but, but considering who we are, what our DNA is, we want to jump into this. So let me just say this before, um, uh, too many seconds tick off the clock here tonight. Uh, how many of you know this? Let me just, I'm going to lead with this tonight. It's going to be a theme for us throughout the evening. I'm going to put a quote up on the, on your screen. How many of you know that this is true? Can I see that quote? Let's see that first quote. When God has a plan, nothing is going to stop it. Come on now. I'm on here and I see some of you guys commenting Does anybody watching this know that that is true? When God has a plan, nothing is going to stop it. Somebody say amen. Let's get the chatter going tonight. How many of you needed to hear that just now? How about that? Hey, little hands going up, emoji hands going up. Maybe because you've been wondering lately where the plan is exactly and how exactly is it going for God, right? There's a lot going on in the world. It doesn't always feel like his plan is unimpeded, does it? It certainly doesn't. It doesn't in me, if I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys. Okay? How many of you then, changing gears, how many of you, when I say God, when God has a plan, nothing's going to stop it, how many of you just aren't sure what that means, honestly? You know? Or, or how many of you uh, know that to be true, but you honestly, you... You don't understand what it looks like on a personal level. Well, well, uh, there is a story within this story that will surprise, it will inspire, it will enlighten, and it will build your faith in a way that you might not expect it to, church. Hear me here. Hear my heart. As we move through these next few messages over the next I don't know, 10 days to two weeks, I want you to remember something, okay? Remember this. Can I see that quote one more time? Remember this. When God has a plan, nothing, and I mean nothing, is going to stop it. Amen? Can I get an amen from my amen corner? All right. Now, 
I've told you before, I've told you before, right, that there is a scarlet thread. I love it. This Bible, the thread is black, but I always think of this, right? There's a thread in your Bible, right? But not, not physically, you know, metaphorically, there is a scarlet thread that runs throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And that scarlet thread is a word, grace. In one word, it is grace. Well, there's a story there. So as I said, I said what I say, it begins in where? Genesis through Revelation. It begins the the history within the his story begins here for us tonight in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen. So those of you that have your word, pull your word out. You hear those Bible pages flipping around? There they go. You got your coffee? Let's read. And I will put enmity, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. That's interesting. Let's keep reading. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From that moment, church, that is the moment right here. God's plan of redemption began. If you've ever wondered, I wonder when this whole thing of Jesus dying on the cross, where did that really begin? It began right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It was declared her seed. Do you understand that a woman does not have a seed? Do you understand? We don't have to go too deep into biology. We understand, right? Males carry the seed. Women carry the egg. Why would God say between your seed and her seed, her seed? was type and shadow. Type and shadow was declared. God's plan for history was declared right here. The Messiah will be born of a woman with no earthling, no man's seed, but God's supernatural seed because he is God and man. He is Mary flesh and God our Father spirit and more, right? So her seed, she doesn't have a seed. Well, where did the seed come from? From God. There it is, type and shadow. So it was declared there and bruise his heel. It'll bruise his heel. Well, Satan has been trying to subvert God's plan uh, ever since. Ever since that moment, Satan has been trying to subvert uh, God's plan. Can I see this next graphic? (laughs) Here's a few examples for you. Right out of the gate, Satan tried to uh, corrupt Adam's line in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, we know famously uh, when the watchers turned on the, the daughters of men and giants were born, and then thus we see giants, yes, real giants, uh, not Sethites in the land. Uh, Abraham's seed, Genesis 12 and uh, uh, 20 as well, Abraham's seed attacked, famine, Genesis 50, destruction of the male line, Exodus, Pharaoh's pursuit, we remember all of that, you know, he was trying to kill all the, how many times have the, have, has Satan tried to wipe the Jews off of the face of the earth for crying out loud? Look at this, Adam's attacks, or excuse me, uh, attacks on David's line, Jeroham, remember Haman, remember Haman uh, wanted to wipe out the Jewish people, but Esther stepped in for such a time as this. Look in the New Testament, remember Joseph's fears, remember Herod uh, in Matthew chapter 2, killing all of the children under two years old. That's because he was a toddler at that point, not a baby in the manger. Okay, and the cross, of course. How many times has Satan tried to to stop God's plan? How many times has he intervened and tried to thwart what God uh, was doing what God declared he was going to do all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, time and time and time and time again. But through it all, church, through it all, God's plan, do you hear me now? Somebody needs to hear this tonight. God's plan for you would not be stopped. Would not be stopped. Wow. I mean, the earth flooded for crying out loud, right? The earth flooded. The nation he brought out to be his own, even sent into exile. I mean, come on now. The big guns were out early. Satan brought some big guns to the party 
early to try and stop this thing. But you know what? God's plan would not be stopped. Amen? Amen. Today's a special day. Do you know why? Well, because we're here together, right? It's Wednesday night. Everybody's so excited about Wednesday night uh, teaching, right? Uh, now, today's special. Well, really, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow is a special day. I'll give you a hint, okay? It, tomorrow begins one, uh, it's one of eight special days. I'm going to wait. Somebody's going to tell me what it is. Eva's got her hand raised. Eva? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. You got it, girl. Tomorrow's Hanukkah. We don't celebrate Hanukkah in our house as like Messianic Jews would necessarily or the Jewish people would, but it's a special day. It's special. Uh, even even knows about it, right? It's a Jewish holiday. Uh, why should that matter to me, a Gentile Christian? Does anybody know? Should it matter to me? Um... Well, you see, there, there's this story, right? There's this story. There's this story within the Cliff's, Cliff's Note version of the story that we have all heard a hundred times as it, as it has everything to do with everything, church. And, you know, so because it's us, we've just got to know about this, right? So we're, we're going to spend some time jumping into this tonight. Like I said, tonight is about setting the stage for the, for the history within his story. Do you guys remember um, Daniel? There's this guy in the Bible. We talked about him a little bit on Sunday, didn't we? You guys remember that guy, Daniel? Somebody does. Who's on here? I got, I got 12 people watching with me right now. I know one of you guys remember this Daniel guy, right? All right. So uh, <laughs> Daniel, uh, pretty significant guy. I like to say that, you know, Daniel presents for us a good life plan to be honest with you. Now, I know he was exiled, and that's a bummer, but what happened? How did he respond to the, the persecution and the hardships in his life? Well, Daniel, let, let's see this next graphic. A plan for your life, I like to say. Daniel, he was, he was exiled. He was faithful. He was gifted. And then he was elevated. So first he's exiled, but in his exile, he still remains to be faithful. And then in his faithfulness, he's gifted. And then ultimately he's elevated even by his enemies. Pretty cool. Now let's go to that next graphic. We jumped ahead a little early, but let's go to it now. Let's, let's see that next one, Eva. That'd be great. So he's given revelation and prophecy. He's given revelation and he's given prophecy. In Daniel chapter 5, uh, we talked about this and studied this on Sunday, if you recall. Uh, <laughs> Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, you know, they're partying with the elements, with the, the uh, everything, all the treasure they took from the temple back to Babylon. And they took, you know, Daniel was there as well. And, and, and all of a sudden a hand appears on the wall and says, you have been tried and you have been found wanting. You remember that from this past Sunday service? Powerful, right? Found wanting. At the same time, uh, King Cyrus stops up the river Euphrates and walks in, takes Babylon without even a battle. And who does he find sitting on the top steps but Daniel holding the Isaiah scroll with Cyrus's name written in it. You guys re recall from Sunday, right? I'm counting on that here. You find, you find that, uh, he, he finds that scroll, his own name. Daniel says, hey, Cyrus, you know, 200 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote your name in our scrolls. And now you've come just as the one true God said that you would come, right? So all of that happens in Daniel 5. And then we see in Daniel chapter 9, there's the prophecy given to him of the 70 weeks that says, you know, from that time when Cyrus comes, you know, there uh, and, and the kingdoms change from the, whenever that moment happens that there will be a decree to rebuild the city walls and the streets, count this many days. In other words, 69 weeks and then a 70th week, and we study this at length in the springtime around uh, Passover and all of that, then uh, Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. So uh, that's a whole sermon unto itself. But we understand Daniel chapter 9, that prophecy again. So Daniel chapter 5, this guy, this is a heavy hitter here. So Daniel chapter 5, that happens. Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks prophecy is given. In Daniel chapter 11, something else happens. Daniel reports a series of visions, okay? And through divine inspiration, Daniel uh, uh, sees and records historically proven events that were still yet to be. 
Okay? So we spent time on this on Sunday talking about how this is a book that is extraterrestrial, right? I mean, this is, it details the, no other holy book in the world, by the way, is a book of prophecy. There are a lot of rule books. There are a lot of books that say that you, here's what you have to do to serve a God. And here uh, we have a God who serves us and comes for us and goes first and dies for us. And then he, he actually details history in advance for us to prove himself to us. I mean, this is incredible. This is the heart of God, again, on full display, as we talked about this past uh, uh, Sunday at Life Story Church. So, <laughs> Daniel chapter 11 is going to do some more of that, and that's where we're going to spend our time tonight. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it does such a good job in doing this, guys, that skeptics, scholarly skeptics, have alleged that such events were certainly recorded after the fact. After. They don't, unbelieving historians find the accuracy of Daniel's prophecies so shockingly accurate that they refuse, refuse to believe that they truly predated the events. They say, how could this have been written before the events actually happened? There is no way. So they throw Daniel out. Many modern-day scholars refuse to date Daniel where Daniel suggests that it should be dated. Where all of the history says it should be dated, many historians still hold on because it's too accurate. It would have to be prophecy. Well, guess what? It is. These scholars are ever hearing, ever seeing, but never understanding is the problem. In the 6th century B.C., 6th century B.C., Daniel wrote this. Let me see Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. He wrote this. Behold, and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be richer than them all. By his strength through his riches, he shall stir up against, all, against the realm of Greece. Stir up all against the realm of Greece, excuse me. The prediction of Greece... Here, church, the prediction of Greece as a succeeding world power to the Persian Empire is itself amazing. He is here prophetically declaring that Greece, this specific nation, will come after the nation that he's currently being a part of and currently being ruled by. The fall of the Persia, uh, the fall of Persia, and the rise of Alexander's yes, that Alexander the Great. Alexander's empire were 200 years in the future at the time of Daniel's vision here, church, all right? Yet Daniel's predictions become even more detailed concerning the rise of Alexander the Great. He then says this in verse 3, Daniel 11, verse 3, he says, Then a mighty king shall arise, a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. Guys, the premature death of Alexander is rehearsed in many, many sixth grade textbooks. I mean, at least it was before Common Core, right? So, you know, the division of his kingdom into four parts being assumed by four military leaders is so well known. Daniel foresaw these events. He foresaw them. Let's read it. You want proof? Daniel chapter 11, verse 4. As, and as soon, and when, and when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided towards the four winds of heaven, four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Two of these divisions of Alexander's empire are prominent in the subsequent part of Daniel's vision, okay? Uh, the kings of the north and the kings of the south, if you read on, right? Daniel chapter 11, if you read verse 5 all the way through verse 20, and I encourage you to do them, do that. We know these uh, uh, two uh, kingdoms, the north and the south, as the Seleucid and the Ptolemy dynasties historically. Can I see this map? Let me look at this map, Evangeline. Thank you. History, right here. I love these little cartoon ones. They're the best ones. 
They make it simple, right? So <laughs> we see the Seleucids and the, and the uh, Ptolemaic. The northern, the king of the north and the king of the south, this is who chapter 5 is talking about in great detail, okay? In Daniel chapter 11, verse 21 through uh, 35, the prophet reveals the rise and rule of a guy by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He is a Seleucid king who reigned from the year 175 to the year 164 BC. All right, Daniel's prediction involves the rise, uh, the rise of Antiochus to power, the conflicts of Antiochus with Egypt, the king of the south, remember, and his hostilities towards Israel. This is Antiochus. This is what the guy looked like. I've got his uh, yearbook picture here. Can I see that picture? This is what he looked like. Boy, he looks like a nice guy, doesn't he? No? Eva's shaking her head no. Andrew, nice guy? Well, I don't know. The jury's still out, I guess. All right, let me back up. <laughs> what does this have to do with anything, right? Now, keep in mind uh, the history within his story. Okay, history within his story. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? Church, when history proves prophecy, let me say that, pause and say that again for dramatic effect. When history proves prophecy, it must be declared. Church, it must be declared. Can I see that? What was that again? What's our quote for the day? When God has a plan... Nothing is going to stop it. And I'm going to show you how. You know why? Here we go. So look at all that, all of that history within Daniel. Why is that all? Why does God give us all of that history in Daniel? Why make the point of making that prophecy? Why all of that? Okay. Uh, this is a historical, historical chapter that God, that God took the time to elaborate upon. Do you, do you see that? He took the time to elaborate upon with the intention of revealing his plans to you. That's why. He intended to reveal his plans to you. So guess what? You should know it. It's not, trust me, it's not over your head if it's not over my head, all right? If, if I can figure this out, it's for you too, all right? We should know this. We should know this. How cool is this? God wanted to show us this, okay? So this is what brings us to Hanukkah and why it's relevant to what happens tomorrow Hanukkah. Why should I, being a Christian, uh, care to know anything about Hanukkah, right? What does that have to... I'm not Jewish, you know? That's like, you know, it's not Easter or Christmas or anything like that, right? No, uh, no, no, no. This is, what, this is what brings us to Hanukkah. In 167 BC, 167 BC, the second temple in Jerusalem, I might get worked up telling this story, all right? Bear with me. The second temple in Jerusalem, it was looted uh, and services stopped. Judaism at the time was outlawed, okay? Antiochus, that Antiochus we just saw, Remember, Cyrus, you know, we talked about this on Sunday, had been incentivizing Jews to go home. So by this point, the temp second temple is rebuilt, all right? Antiochus ordered an altar to Zeus be erected in the Holy of Holies. Yes, that Holy of Holies that is so holy that if a priest, high priest goes in there and he's, he's not been cleansed properly according to the old Levitical uh, law, he falls dead, right? And they pull him out. All of that stuff that we have talked about even recently at Life Story Church, right? He erected a altar to Zeus. Can you imagine how offended God was? He banned circumcision. He was a mean guy, after all, Andrew. He was a mean guy. <laughs> he banned circumcision. We need to get a, a camera on Andrew over there, I think, for Wednesday nights. So let's just switch it back and forth. And Eva, too, right? <laughs> he banned circumcision and ordered pigs, pigs to be sacrificed at the altar of the, of the temple and the holy of holies. So, obviously, imagine what would happen. I mean... 
people are outraged now over a stolen election, right? So over voter fraud. They were outraged, outraged. Antiochus's actions provoked a large-scale revolt in Jerusalem. Uh, Mattathias, and I'm going to use the Greek pronunciation of his word because I, I can't get the to say the Jewish uh, pronunciation. Mattathias, a Jewish priest, and his five sons led a rebellion against Antiochus, and rightly so. By 165 BC, the Jewish revolt against the Seleucid monarchy was successful. Praise God, right? Matthias, the oldest son, died. Judah, his nickname was the Hammer, Judah the Hammer, uh, led from there. The temple was liberated and rededicated, and olive oil with the sing uh, with excuse me with the seal of the Gohen Gadol, which is the high priest. Okay, olive oil with the seal of the Gohen Gadol was needed for the menorah in the temple. It was required to burn throughout the night, every night in the in the temple. The menorah was always throughout twenty four seven supposed to be burning. All right, the story goes. The story goes that one flask was found with only enough oil to burn for one day. Just one day, okay? Yet, miraculously, it burned for eight days, which just so happened to be the exact time needed to prepare a fresh supply of kosher oil for the menorah. An eight-day festival thusly was declared by the Jewish, uh, Jewish sages uh, to commemorate this miracle. So, and this, can I see this next picture? This is a menorah. This is a Hanukkah menorah. Notice it's different than the seven uh, candlestick or lampstand menorahs that would have been in the temple and that we see um, everywhere else. This has uh, nine, eight days, and then there's one. The ninth is just the candle that is, remains lit so you can light the other ones, okay? But the eight are to commemorate the eight days that that miracle happened. So come back to me now, all right? We're going, we're, we're digging under the surface quite a bit tonight, aren't we? Why did God want us to know this? Why show us all of this all the way back and lay all this groundwork for the Maccabean revolt in Daniel chapter 11? Why did he show us this? Well, a couple things. I've got two points for you on it, okay? This is where it becomes uh, applicational to you. In Daniel, we see empires. Yes, that next graphic. In Daniel, we see empires, history itself, as a matter of fact, bound to, manipulated by, and bent to prophecy. Period. Period. God detailed what kingdoms would rise and fall, what specifically Alexander the Great even, how he would rise and then how he would fall and exactly what would happen afterwards. The four winds, the four kingdoms taking over for Alexander the Great. Thus Antiochus rises uh, to the forefront. Antiochus himself uh, does that ghastly thing of Zeus in the temple, no circumcision, uh, pigs slaughtered in the Holy of Holies, which rises the Jewish people finally uh, to a place of revolt. So the second point is, not only is God bending history to his will, to, to prophecy, and the second point is, is that in the Maccabeans, we see that God required action of the people. He required action of the people to do his will, to stand for his honor, for godly principles and morality, and say, no, you have gone too far. This will not stand. Mm. Makes me think of this something we've been saying all night. What is it? What is it? When God has a plan? What is that? Do we have that graphic? What happens when God has a plan? Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing will stop it. Church, he will change the course of history. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? He will change the course of history. He will bring, he will bring Yehovah. Ooh, 
Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach, he will bring nations to their knees. Yet, yet he desires that we play our part. Do you see that? Make no mistake, make no mistake on this, okay? Had the Maccabee family failed to step up, Mattathias, his, uh, his son, Matthias, and Judah the Hammer, all of them, had they failed to step up, uh, another's name would be written in the annals of history. I believe that wholeheartedly. But he has a plan, church. What can I pull out of this? What, can, what is in here for you tonight to be encouraged by? Let me say this. He has a plan. And you are a part of it. Do you believe that? You're here, aren't you? Has he, has he put before you work to do for the kingdom of God? A realm of influence to influence? Indeed he has. You are a part of his plan. Will you play your part? Because he's bending history to his will. He's bending history to prophecy all around us. Are you watching the news at all? Are you what? I saw a headline this morning that said, Russia, Russia, now comes out uh, uh, and states, one of their big generals says, the problem with the Middle East is Israel. Okay, well, there we go. Just when we thought Russia and, and Israel were going to try to get along, right? No. Well, Russia, Gog, of course, Gog of Magog, right? Magog. They are uh, a kingdom of the north, a leader of the federation that will someday, likely soon, it's sure looking like uh, invade Israel. We've got Libya, Syria, we've got Turkey, uh, Germany and Russia, they're in bed together now. They haven't got a new fuel deal. And so all of the, all of the parties of the Gog, Magog, Ezekiel 38-39 invasion are aligned right now for the first time in history. Get that. Don't, don't let that be lost on you. The first time in history that those specific nations have ever been aligned are aligned right now. And Russia is saying, you know, Israel's the problem in the Middle East. So uh, don't you think for a second that God is not bending the will of history itself to meet his prophecy and his purposes, his plan? He has a plan, and you are a part of it. You are a part of it. Are you living your life from a perspective that you're a part of that plan? Are you living your life from the perspective that, you know what, <laughs> you know, if Gog, Magog, these prof- if I'm, I'm, like, I'm looking at the news and I'm watching things that the Bible says are going to happen, happen, you realize that you, are, you have been born in this generation. I think it's an honor. And I don't think it's an accident, especially if you know the Lord and and. You're his. So you're you're an ambassador for Christ, thusly. You actually have a job title in the government of the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? Do you live your life with that perspective? You should, especially in this hour of history, right? Woo, don't get me started on that. Uh, you know, we live in a culture in which God is mocked. He is mocked anytime his heart's desire for our lives uh, uh, cost us something or makes us uncomfortable. He is mocked. <sighs> what are we tolerating today that we shouldn't be tolerating? Can I ask you that? What are we tolerating? Personally, don't look outside yourself. Don't even just look at this from a, a, a national perspective. What are you tolerating that you shouldn't be? What action do you need to take today in light of this? So let's go to John chapter 10, verse uh, 22, and we're going to read through 30. Are you guys still with me? Are we hanging in there? Excellent. Read with me here. John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. Somebody outline in their Bible the Feast of Dedication for me. I know there's one person out there that's going to do it. Amen? And it was winter. So I wonder what feast that could be in the wintertime. You guys know the seven feasts of the Lord? You guys know all that, right? Well, this isn't one of them. So what's the winter feast? What's the winter feast of dedication? We'll come back to that. Verse 23, And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Verse 24, 
Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. They bear, bear witness to me. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, As I said to you, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any one snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? God is good. God is so good, this scripture. Uh, I was just talking to uh, uh, Diana tonight. She lost her father today. And I said, you know? I said, you, you know he knew the Lord. And she said, I know he knew the Lord. And I said, then you know what? No one is going to snatch him out of the Father's hand. No one. And how good is that to know? Amen? Verse 30, and then he said, and I and my Father are one. You know, not a coincidence. So he said this. Jesus said this, this passage that we just read to you. What day was it that he said it? It's not a coincidence, church. It is not a coincidence that it was on Hanukkah that he made this statement. Jesus drew a line to Hanukkah for some reason. The Holy Spirit wanted you to know that it was on this day, the Feast of Dedication, which is another name for Hanukkah. Dedicating what? Rededicating the temple at the time of the Maccabees. That's this festival. So Jesus celebrated Hanukkah while he was here. Celebrated. Celebrated the rededication of that second temple. Why did he draw a line? Can I see this next picture? This is a picture of a menorah, a Hanukkah menorah, in the window in Berlin, the time of the Nazis. Obviously, it was just before they were all, the Jewish people were rounded up and herded like cattle on train cars to their ultimate demise, most of them. You see that flag hanging in the background. Is this chilling or what? Is this chilling or what? Look at this. Notice the placement of this menorah. It's put in the window, isn't it? You know, the reason for the Hanukkah lights is not for the lighting of the house within the house. But this tradition, they put it in their window. It's put in the window, not to light, not to light the house within, but rather for the illumination of the house within out outside so that passers-by should see it and be reminded of the holiday's miracle, the triumph of the few over the many, the triumph of the pure over the impure. Lord Jesus, right now we cry out as a nation, God, your children, your people, as, as the, the festival of Hanukkah begins tomorrow and we celebrate this God Lord, we pray for the triumph of the few over the many. We pray for the triumph of the pure over the impure in our nation. Lord God, according, accordingly, lamps are set up at a prominent window uh, or near the door that is leading to the street outside. I just love this, church. I love this. Let your light shine to the world is the point. We have to be bold at this point in history more than any other point that I've ever lived through. I don't know what you guys think, but, you know, in this day and age, I think maybe more than any other day before it. John chapter 8, verse 12 reads, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 reads, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it 
on its stand or in the window, right? And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others in the streets, let th- that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then there's this. Finally, one more. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Therefore, <laughs> when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So is Hanukkah for us, is it relevant for the Christian today? Oh, yes, church. Look at this verse. Leave this on the screen if you would. Uh, this Matthew 24, verse 15. This is for the future. This is a prophecy. This is going to happen again. What has happened before is going to happen again. What was the abomination of desolation? Does anybody remember? What did Antiochus do? He set up an idol in the Holy of Holies to Zeus, and he sacrificed pigs on the altar of God. That abomination of desolation as Daniel spoke of, it's going to happen. Again, remember, when Jesus was saying this, they were already celebrating Hanukkah. So it had already happened again in the past. So Jesus, it's a, there's a line. Do you see this? A line from Daniel all through what happened with the Maccabean revolts to Jesus' time, he makes sure to reference that it was at the Feast of Dedication on Hanukkah And then he specifically draws a line to Antiochus again here. He wants us to know this history. He wants us to know the relevance of the Hanukkah. And he, of Hanukkah, uh, the Feast of Dedication. And he wants us to understand that we are the light to the world. This is not accidental. Church, none of this is accidental. Here we see Jesus drawing a line, making a type and shadow reference from Antiochus to the Antichrist, pseudo-Christ of the end times. There's something here he wants you to know. Church, Hanukkah is for you. It's not just a funny celebration for Jewish people. Do Do I celebrate it in our home culturally? No, we're not Jewish. We're Gentiles, right? It always drives me nuts when I see Gentile people who don't, Look, if you grew up Jewish and it's part of your culture, great, celebrate it. You should. It's part of your culture. But we don't need to try to become Jewish as Gentiles, all right? We are free by Christ. We, there's the scripture and the prophecy over and over again talks about uh, uh, how the Gentiles will be brought in and all of that, you know? Uh, we talked about that on Sunday with Cyrus, the first Gentile king, the only Gentile king of Israel, right? Shepherd, anyway. Gentile shepherd. So Gentiles are a part of the plan. We're grafted in. Um, we're not any less, but we, we say thank you to the Jewish people and Abraham who were grafted in by faith because that's how ultimately ultimately he was even uh, you know, chosen. So that's a whole other study, but a fun one. Anyway, Hanukkah is for you. If you want to celebrate Hanukkah, celebrate Hanukkah. But don't feel like you have to. But you should know about it. We should know this. This knowledge is for you. God wants you to know about it because he's trying to show us something. He wants you to know what's coming. There's so, if you just read this prophecy and don't know anything else that we talked about tonight, aren't you missing out so much on so much? That's just one verse. Okay, well, I guess so. And then we go back to Daniel. Like, okay, so that was that. I guess there's this. But then, then you miss the whole piece You miss the whole piece about, you know, all of it. And knowing all of this as well, doesn't Jesus' language about being a light to the world, you know, gain meaning? It it does for me. It does for me, church. It's no coincidence uh, that at the darkest time, at the darkest time of the year, God would have us celebrate light. Didn't you get that? The winter solstice is coming up, which, by the way, that's not a pagan holiday that was co-opted and turned into Christmas. There's way more history um, to that piece. And I, I don't know if we'll get to do it this year or not. Depends on what our week looks like next week. But I want to do a, an installment of That's Not in the Bible on a lot, of, a lot of... There's a lot of legalists out there that are trying to rob you of your cultural tradition of Christmas, saying that it's tied to paganism in a lot of ways that it's not. Um, 
are there, is there stuff? Yeah, we talk about that stuff all the time, but um, I think some people are kind of tormented um, by the thought that somehow they're not honoring Jesus by having a Christmas tree, and that's just not true. Even wreaths and stuff like that, there's, we can follow the history on all of that, and uh, I hope we get to do that installment. It can be liberating for some of you guys, maybe, I don't know. Um, it's no coincidence to me, anyway, that that Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, happens at the darkest time of the year. The night is always, always darkest before the dawn, isn't it? That's not just a catchy phrase that people say. It's always darkest before the dawn, technically, technically, you know? Uh, and I know it can get pretty dark, church. It feels pretty dark right now, doesn't it? <laughs> a lot of people are sick, right? Our nation, the republic, as we know it, it's literally on its deathbed. I mean, it's literally, we need God. We need a miracle. We need justice to prevail at this point. It's pretty dark, wouldn't you? I'd say that the light of liberty in this nation has never grown so dim as it is at this very moment, church. Um, it can get pretty dark, you know? It can get pretty dark for us. You know, for some of for some of you, you know, it wasn't that long ago that you were in a dark place. Some of you people are still climbing out of a dark place right now. Some of you are in the midnight hour right now as you're listening to my voice. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Never forget that. Never forget that, that when Jesus finally came, it was in the fourth watch of the night. It's always darkest before the dawn. God has a plan. Remember this, church. And nothing is going to stop it. When God has a plan, nothing's going to stop it. And you are a part of his plan. You're here born in this time and season, this era of history for a reason. He has a plan for you. So ask yourself this question tonight. Here's your sending. We're going to close and here's your commission as we go. Are you looking for God to bless your plans? Is that what's happening? Is that, is that what is happening right now in your life? Are you looking? If, do you have a bunch of plans that you think are great plans that God should really like and appreciate it and you're just praying and waiting for him to bless your plans? Is that what's happening? Or are you looking for God's plan for your life? I hope that you're looking for God's plan for your life. You know, I, yeah, you guys know me. You, you've heard that my story a million times. That's my story up and down. I spent 10 years trying to understand why God wouldn't bless my plans for my life. I thought they were, he should really like them, right? Uh, when I finally laid all of that down and said, I don't care what I do. I just want to, um, I want to, I want to, I want you to use me. Whatever you want me to do with my life. When I finally laid it down and said, I'll do whatever you want me to, that's when God's plan for my life took over. And not a second before, guys. So let us celebrate the light at this dark time. Amen? Amen? Because the dawn is almost here. Can you feel it? I can feel it coming. Woo! Come on, church. Come on now. The dawn is coming, and you have nothing, nothing but reason to hope. Amen? Because if, if you're in that dark, dark place, you've got to know, you've got to know it. The dawn is about to come, and the sun is about to shine. Because ultimately, in church, when God has a plan, somebody say it, when God has a plan, it's going to happen. Eva, nothing is going to stop it. I love it. With every eye closed, every head bowed, right in your living room, say this, Jesus, I want your plan for my life, God. Get me out of the way, Lord. This is your plan. This is your show, and I don't want to get in the way, Lord. I just want to be a part of it. Make me a part of your plan, God. Help me aid you in your plan for this world, Lord Jesus. 
Let me be a part of, of bringing healing to the sick. Let me be a part of bringing hope to the discouraged. Let me be a, a part of bringing salvation to the lost. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. Holy Spirit, forgive me for being selfish and only looking to my own uh, desires and only to my own gain and my own profit, Lord Jesus. I turn my heart to you now. I want to build your kingdom, God. Let me make your kingdom rich, God. Let me, let me prosper you in your purposes, Lord Jesus, and, and let me find fulfillment in that. Let that be the prayer of your heart, guys. Right now, at the darkest time of the year, let the light shine from your heart. Let it shine in truth and love in Jesus' name as we prepare, as we prepare for the times ahead. It's no accident that you were born for this time in history. You are a part of his plan for this season, this era of history. This is his story. You are a part of history. For real. So, let us embrace it and let us wake in the morning emboldened. And let us walk with uh, uh, a sure uh, footing. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor out on your life. May you be a light in a dark place everywhere you go. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Thank you.